Your source for Big Ten Talk. It's off tackle Empire. Welcome to Wisconsin Week here at Off Tackle Empire. I'm Steve Braun, aka Thumpasaurus. That's a baker's dozen of previews there for us, Steve. I'm Andrew Krzyzewski. Yeah, so what do you think about the Badgers? We're oh. still here. We're still here sipping our our, our, our brew from our brewski from last time, and I don't know. I, I'm I'm a little bit concerned about the Badgers this year. Uncharacteristic stumble for Wisconsin last season. Gave away the division to Northwestern. But look, I, do we really know here with Paul Chris that underwhelming isn't the new normal? I mean, name their five best players this year. You got Taylor, 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 and Taylor, right? Yeah. This is getting exhausting. We can stop whenever <laughs> you want. <laughs> well, anyway. Um, like, my nose hurts after talking like that. I don't... Anyway. Yeah, somehow, you know, it's weird. It sounds a little like if you made the Uper accent, like, and you just took all of the pleasantness out of it. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Wisconsin showed signs for concern very early uh, by dropping a home game to BYU. And if, if I recall the broadcast of that, they did sort of portray it as, oh, this is a coming out moment for Kalani Satake and his program, and... Look at the, what they've achieved and where they came from. You know, like Bronco Mendenhall left a smoldering crater behind or something. Um, I don't think it, it really ended up being that. Because do you have any recollection of BYU's season other than that game? Because I sure don't. Um, I believe that it was meh. They, okay, they appear to have spanked Western Michigan in a bowl game. Uh, lost 7-6 to six to Northern Illinois. That's a Michigan State um, game. Yeah, let's see. Okay, so Wisconsin was ranked number six. Yeah. Okay. Was a, oh, now the other thing was that was a loss at home. And that, that was broke, their first yeah. home loss in the non-conference, to a non-conference yeah. opponent. Uh, I think since 2006 or something. Right? Yeah, yeah, for a very long time. I think it was 2005 or six. So yeah, BYU wins at Arizona, loses to California, goes and beats Wisconsin, and then like the 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 best win that they had outside of Wisconsin was. Definitely Arizona, because otherwise you're talking UMass, Hawaii, New Mexico State, McNeese, yeah, Western um, Michigan. <laughs> and if, if on the recording you ever hear this kind of vague sandpapery slurping sound, don't be alarmed. That's just my dog going to town on my other foot right now. We just previously recorded the Iowa podcast and he got the entire surface of my left foot and now he decided that it needs to be balanced out. Just like you usually get a nice balance between the run and the play-action pass with Wisconsin's offense. But, man, didn't really see that to the extent we thought we would last year, did we? I mean, we were ta- We spent last offseason, I think we weren't the only ones. We didn't make this up. Other people were on board with this assessment that last year's offense on paper could have been looking the 2011 unit with Russell Wilson in the eye. I believe I would describe this as possibly the deepest Wisconsin team ever. Yeah, I believe that, that I gave it that description because, if you recall, about they that. also had three phenomenal linebackers that were going to be seniors. Yeah, yeah, and to be fair, look, they had they had some injuries. Okay, so of the linebackers you're talking about, Van Ginkle was hurt for a good portion of the season. Really, the injury that killed them was to a player who I don't think got nearly enough credit the last several years for how good he was. That was Olive Sakapolu, 
the nose tackle, who really made the whole off or the whole defense work. Uh, once he went out, stop the presses. A nose tackle didn't get anywhere near enough credit for what he did. Yeah, and so once he went out, this defense got a lot easier to run on. Um, hey, Wisconsin fans, admire, admire my Gilbert Brown jersey. <laughs> Okay, I've seen, him, you know I've seen it with my own eyes. It's a, and it's a Packers jersey, of course, so y'all should be yeah. on board with that. You know, so I just, all I had was quarterback jerseys, and I'm thinking, you know what? I wasn't a quarterback. I was a damn defensive tackle, and I was a big boy. So, man, here's one to the biggest boy I ever saw play at Gilbert Brown. I would, so assume, anyway. I would assume the Gilbert Brown jersey starts at like a 2X, like that's the smallest size you can buy it at. If, if they sell it smaller than that, that's just not true to life. That's just, you know... Absolutely. That's, that's, well, not can- yeah. that's not canon. A medium, a size medium Gilbert Brown jersey is not canon. So, no. <laughs> anyway, we digress. I'm sure you Wisconsin people enjoy that. That was Packers related. So, um, yeah, some some injuries at really bad positions definitely hurt Wisconsin last year. I mean, obviously the defensive ones we talked about, and then Alex Hornerbrook dealt with concussion symptoms for basically half the season. It felt like so he was in, he was out. Jack Cohn played some. He was underwhelming to say the least. But I think it's fair to say that even when Hornerbrook was healthy, this offense wasn't what we thought it would be with a completely intact, very good offensive line with Jonathan Taylor, who is every bit as good as Melvin Gordon ever was, with a group of wide receivers that really came on at the end of 17, even without Quintez Cephas returning the way he was expected to. They still had A.J. Taylor, still had Danny Davis, still had Kedrick Pryor. They found Jake Ferguson as a great young tight end option. Like... They should. They had everything. This should have been a really good offense. And, man, you can't help but think that it really was just down to the trigger, man. Even when he was healthy, Hornerbrook just wasn't consistently getting what he needed out of this offense. And You know, when, it was a good offense, but yeah. it wasn't a great offense. No, that's, well, like, that's why it's relative to expectations. They were, they, were, they were fine for the most part. It was not as good as the 2017 offense. No, no, it's certainly not the 2011 offense that a lot of people wanted to compare it to, which was unbelievable. And that was a big problem because the defense took a big step back. Yeah, yeah, and again, it was a, yes. We'll acknowledge the injuries playing a big part yes, in that. It was but, a good defense, but Wisconsin, I feel like, has had injuries on the defense before, and they always just come up with guys that, that you weren't thinking about that, yeah. you know, slot right in and produce a very, you know, and it a, did. a nationally relevant defensive core. And they weren't really able to do that. The defensive line play suffered without Sagapolu. Um, who knows what they're going to do to replace him now that he's out of eligibility. His probable successor, Garrett Rand, is coming off an Achilles tear. So they may struggle once again to hold their water at the point of attack against a lot of the run-based offenses they'll see. I mean, think about Minnesota, think about Iowa, um, think about Nebraska. You know, it's going to help to have a solid front, and I don't know that Wisconsin's got the pieces to do it this year. Even with the turnover they have in the linebacker group, they'll probably be okay there. They still have Zach Bond, still have Chris Orr, but, I mean, TJ Edwards is finally gone, Van Ginkle's gone, Ryan Connolly's gone. The secondary is going to be completely reworked, the only guy that I think was really on anybody's radar back there, Dakota Dixon, is gone now. So they've got some work to do, particularly on the front and back of the defense, to return to what I think everyone assumed was going to be the case when Jim Leonard took over two years ago. It looked as though he was going to be a pretty seamless transition from Dave Aranda, but now that a lot of the personnel that Aranda had trained are gone, we're gonna. this is kind of a prove-it year for, for Leonard, I think. 
Wisconsin played two teams that were ranked last year and lost both. Um, total of 23 points they scored between those two. They, they had, you know, they broke some new ground, but not in the way that you want if you're a Wisconsin fan. No. Obviously that, that, uh, that streak-breaking loss to BYU. Then they went on the road and got blasted by Michigan, Wisconsin, you know, which is one of the first times I can remember them being absolutely ass-blasted by anyone non-Ohio State division. Right. Um, <laughs> they, they, they lost... They were never really in the game at Northwestern. Northwestern shut down their running game completely. Yeah. Which is, I mean... They do that, though. I mean, they're, Northwestern is always better against the run than people expect. But if you're Wisconsin... For anyone to shut your running game down, big problem. It's just yeah, you, you, big problem. You're, you're, you're seeing you're seeing warning lights go off. Yeah, big problem. Uh, okay, so then they beat Rutgers, lose to Penn State, give up 44 points to Purdue. They win that game. It's three overtime, sure. Right. But and that definitely has something to do with it. Um, but the you know their their defense, their vaunted defense, got picked apart. Right. And then the biggest milestone in a bad way. Getting just obliterated by Minnesota, start to finish, first at yeah. home. Yeah, lost in Camp Randall, handing over the axe for the first time in 15 years, fueling this relentless gopher hyper train, hype train that I just can't wait until it goes off a bridge into a fucking canyon. But anyway... Um, yeah, and it wouldn't be there if you hadn't... If you had shown up to play this game, Wisconsin, you made this happen. Every time you look to the West... And you see that PJ Fleck hype train. Remember, you, you could the, have prevented this. You laid the track. For that. You could have prevented this, and instead you enabled it. All you did was you threw fuel all over that fire when it was it was maybe not that big, not that dangerous. No. But now it's uncontained, and it was all your fault, Wisconsin. That's a dryer ball. What do, you, what do you have? Come here. Yeah, that's a dryer ball. You know, in in practice, they get much more use as uh, fetch-related balls than they do as dryer balls. We're not really <laughs> sure if they work, so they work. For, <laughs> right, so they work for dog purposes. Sure. So, so we mentioned a lot of the things that are going to be gone from this year, which you know, a lot of questions offensively and defensively. I mean, obviously, we're kind of burying the lead a little bit in that Hornerbrook, who has had certainly an up and down career, but was probably the clear-cut starter if he was healthy. Uh, he gone. He transferred, and he made the interesting decision to go to Florida State, a quarterback moving to Florida State in this decade. Other than yeah. Like, I mean, that's fucking insane. Well, because they just fired their offensive line coach for gross incompetent and neglectful manslaughter for, of Yeah, I was going to say, for like quarterback manslaughter. Because their quarterbacks <laughs> have just been absolutely crushed the last several years. Sam, and he's going to be going from the protection of a Wisconsin offensive line, which, granted, always leans towards run blocking, but is usually decent at, at, in the pass protection, to, man, Florida State. And have fun playing Clemson's defense. I mean, that's about all I could say about that. Oh, boy. I I don't want to watch that one. Yeah, no. Um, so, anyway, that, that creates a little bit of an issue. But the question is, who will get the reins? Well, that's a good point on which to pivot to recruiting. What can we expect to see this year? Oh, look, it's probably the best quarterback prospect Wisconsin's ever had. I think, like, John Budmayer was a four-star when he was coming out of high school, but um, Graham Mertz could be the best quarterback prospect that Wisconsin's ever had. One of the best pocket passers in the country. 
He's going to have every opportunity to start right away. I would guess Cone probably has a little bit of an inside edge, but really, like, if Hornerbrook is healthy enough to play, why is he leaving? Where is he going? Unless he, I mean, and this is maybe the most silvery of linings that Wisconsin fans could look at this with. Maybe he really did feel that there was going to be some pressure from this high-flying true freshman to unseat him because of the way he underperformed last year. That could be part of it. But at the same time, I mean, Trevor Lawrence being a notable exception with NFL talent all over the place, Mm -hmm. first-round NFL talent all over the place, you usually don't see pro-style quarterbacks come out of high school and start right away at a play at a very high level. That is just something that so rarely happens. So if the if the call is merged, there's going to have to be some patience here. I mean, he's not he's not going to be Sitkowski bad. At least he shouldn't be. Um, but boy, there's good, there could be a little bit of an adjustment period here. <laughs> Chris, I mean, you know, if he throws a bunch of picks and they lose to Kansas somehow without even playing them, uh, I assume that Paul Christ will redshirt him. Yeah, that's the other thing. As opposed to riding him into the ground and through the center of the earth, like a certain other coach did to their pro-style quarterback. One assumes that Chris has enough sort of credit built that he doesn't have to insist on going with Mertz right now. If he puts him in there for a couple games and things aren't going well... You can say, okay, never mind, bad idea. That's what's so great about this four-game redshirt. Yeah, it is. Honestly, it's a phenomenal development because now if a kid just obviously isn't ready but you played him for one reason or another, maybe you thought he was ready, maybe other guys got hurt, whatever the case is. Maybe you promised him game reps. Yeah, if that's the case, you can preserve that eligibility for a kid who demonstrates that he isn't ready to go. I mean... A few seasons over, you want to see what he can do? Yeah, that's your, on the other end, you can go the other direction. So I would think that if Mertz is the guy from the beginning and it turns out that he's not ready, they probably don't stick with him right away. And that would probably also, I mean, is it more of a punting on the season if you bench the freshman who's not ready or if you keep playing him? Because if you're going for the future and not really caring about this season, I guess there's an argument to go ahead and let him take his lumps and maybe he learns from the experience. But man... Not just Sikowski. Think of all the other quarterbacks we've seen just wrecked by that process. Think about, like, Danny Etling, for example. I mean, how much would he have benefited from being able to play a few games as a freshman and then sit the rest of the way? <laughs> Biggest benefit one can... from his experience. I mean, he I wouldn't mean... have had to play for LSU, although he did He did make his way to the pros, so that ended yeah. up working out for him. Rhett Bomar is the example I think of. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, so we got into the weeds a little bit there. So obviously Mertz is going to be the guy that you know about in the recruiting <laughs> class. I'm just going to call him Ethel because it's the only <laughs> other time I've heard that name, really. I guess. Ethel Mertz. Um, they also, interestingly enough, they've got enough turnover on the offensive line that this might actually matter. They've got higher rated offensive line prospects than they usually get. Which is terrifying. Yeah, think about what Wisconsin usually does with like their two stars, three stars, low four stars after a couple years of development. Now give them a five-star offensive tackle, absolute beast of a kid like Logan Brown. Um, give them, I forget the other kid's name out of uh, Indiana. I don't have the list right in front of me. But another, they've got another four-star tackle. You don't have to look it up. It's fine. They've got another four-star tackle, which is good because, you know, from last year's unit, the center, Biadage, is the only guy coming back. And granted, he's good, but you'd like to have a little bit more coming back around him. So I think the assumption is... Cole Van Lannan is probably the starting left tackle. 
And then the other spots, you kind of shrug and let's plug these guys in and figure it out. It would be difficult to believe that a kid with Logan Brown's pedigree isn't going to play at, in some capacity right away. I mean, it's just that would it be the of end of all the, the positions yeah. where you of all the positions you see freshmen starting on the offensive line the least in a stable program. Yeah, you see it a lot when a coach is rebooting something. It, I mean, it does happen. And in fact, like, no, you don't even see it that often. You only see it when Lovey Smith is doing it. Well, no, but I, guys like Logan Brown, though, I mean, I think a few years ago when Alabama starts Cam Robinson at left tackle, like, that was an obvious decision. This, I think, is going to feel like that. It wouldn't surprise me if they start Brown at right tackle from the get-go. Again, one assumes with Wisconsin they've got a few other guys that have been going in the incubator such that they might not need him, but this is a big-time talent. You're not going to have him for four years anyway most likely, so you, you may as well get him out there right away and see what he can do. Um, I feel like Quintez Cephas might not have had the best people around him because not once did anybody ever nickname him Bo. But I completely digress. Yeah, completely. <laughs> um, yeah, so other than that, if you're looking for positive vibes about Chris' program after an up-and-down season, after losing the Axe, after blowing the division, um, he is recruiting substantially better than Wisconsin usually does. Um, 28th nationally, which is actually only good for 6th in the conference, but still better than they usually do. So there is maybe some hope okay. that... It's 5th in the conference, non-Ohio State division. Well, right, but... You I have mean, to say non-Ohio State division for a lot of qualifiers here. No, I, I reject that premise, though, because... If you like, look, unless you're willing to just write off ever winning the conference altogether, which I don't think <laughs> I am, that's horribly depressing. Why are you even doing this then? I mean, I get that you're not close, but you don't want to give up on ever getting back there, do you? I mean, there were a couple of those Zook years, you would have been in a conference title game depending on how the divisions were drawn. Precisely one of those years. Well, again, depending but anyway, on how. Anyway, um,. Yeah, man, your Illinois depression never fails to derail any topics. I completely forget what the point that I was making, but... So, they've got a very manageable non-conference, which should help with the optimism a bit. Although last year should have been manageable, they just couldn't beat BYU. Right. Uh, they do open with the road trip to Tampa... Um, Which, same, you know, shouldn't be as much of a problem. South Florida's not a complete nothing in terms of talent, but Charlie Strong has not exactly achieved ignition there, I think, the way a lot of people assumed he would. Although you're also playing South Florida, you're playing in Tampa yeah. in August. Well, that's, that's, right. That's, actually, that's underratedly be, difficult. It's going to be muggy as hell, but it's it's the same time zone, so you don't have to worry about you know the trips to Pac-12 country that the Big Ten always loses. Same time zone as us, anyway. But still, similar enough, yeah. It, yeah, they are. I always forget Wisconsin is Central Time. All right. Yeah, that's a night game. Yeah, so after that's, that, though. That's one that they should be able to, like, if they lose that one, be concerned. That would be a problem, yes. Even with it being on the road and being hot, um, that would be a concern. And it's also going to be especially concerning because they have what I think is definitely the hardest crossover. I, mean, I haven't checked Northwestern's schedule yet. Maybe... They have Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State. That would be harder, but they host Michigan and Michigan State, and they have to go to the horseshoe. That's as difficult to crossover as you're going to get anywhere in the country, I would think. Like, if you're an SEC East team, you only play two crossovers. So if you get, like, Alabama and Auburn, I guess that would be pretty bad this year. Um, or LSU, whatever, same thing. Sure, sure. But 
you know, other than that, I don't think you're going to find a harder cross-divisional schedule in the country than this. And, you know, again, the other two non-conference games, no problem. Um, do you have the home and road splits for division in front of you? Um, well, let's see. So they've got, they've got three division games on the road, which I assume that means that they've got three at home. Well, which, though? Like, how do they So work? it's Northwestern, Iowa, and Purdue at home. Okay, so, I mean, you avoid a trip to Kinnick, but you won that game last year, so that's not especially concerning. You go to Minnesota. You go to Minnesota, who kicked your ass at home last year. You, you go, go, to, you go to Lincoln. And you go to there late, late in the season. I was going to say, and when is that game? Yeah, that so is November 16th. If, so their, if their trajectory continues at all the way it did last season... You want to catch them yeah, early. The later you play on, the worse off you And, of course, be. you go to Illinois, but you got to deal with those gray jerseys, man. And that, you know... Nobody... Especially the players on Illinois' team want to deal with the gray jerseys. <laughs> Absolutely not. Yeah, there was there was there was one time where uh, no the le- two years ago Wisconsin we keep getting Wisconsin for homecoming and I don't know why. Um, yeah, it's supposed to be an easy that you're not doing that right. No, we got 2013 Michigan State. We got <laughs> oops 2015 Wisconsin. Oh, man, we got 2017 really Wisconsin. <laughs> We got, I mean, we tried Purdue last year, but anyway, um, two years ago, Wisconsin came in and gave us just the most polite blowout I've ever seen, where it was like, you know, they Is kept the, the score was like, was it like 28-14? Is that no, the it, was, it, it ended up being 24-10 because we, like, scored on a trick play at the very end of the I game. That. And so people were saying, oh, man, two-score game till number five team. That game was not even close. That could have very well been like 56 to 3. But it was just such a polite, like, like one time Taylor jogged off the field a little bit slow, and they were like, okay, we're not taking any chances. We're just going to, you know, it's second Wrap quarter, and we're up. just going to sit you the rest of the game. Wrap him up. It was yeah. the most polite blowout I've no, ever I seen. No, I remember that because I started him in JMC, and it royally fucked me over. God damn. Ugh. All right. <laughs> I, I, uh, I happily... Half-heartedly watched that one uh, at various breweries in Decatur because I couldn't be bothered to go to the game because I'd rather hang out with friends that I had. <laughs> Who were not going to the game. So None of whom wanted to go to the game because why the hell would you want to go to the game? Yeah, so it, having gone through more of these previews as we've gone through the summer, I think Wisconsin is going to have a bounce back season here. I think it's going to come down to Wisconsin and Purdue for the division. Um, I know where you stand on Nebraska and all that. I think you're wrong, but I think this is. I think we see a bounce back season from Wisconsin. I don't trust Not their like, defense anymore. Yeah, and well, and so when I say bounce back, I don't mean they'll have the division locked up with two weeks to play. They'll roll through most of their easier games like they usually do. I mean, I think they'd still get to nine or ten wins win the division by winning the games they need to win. Again, the thing that we keep bringing up with the West is there's going to, when we say there's parity, what I mean is I don't think the champ has 11 or 12 wins. I think at most it's 10, probably 9. Yeah, Um, I'm saying 9. I didn't have anybody in the division with more than 9 wins. Yeah, so that could be the kind of season they have, but maybe more of the games that they need to win go their way. I think that's how this probably shakes out. Yeah, I... You know, like I said, I just don't trust their defense anymore. I think that you're finally starting to see the ramifications of losing Dave Aranda. Um, 
where Jim Leonard's been good, but they were at an absolute elite level with Dave Aranda, and there's a reason LSU paid him like $2 million to man. They paid him head coach money, like for, you know, for one of the bigger group group of five schools. Yeah, that's head coach money. That's head coach money at the bottom end of the Power Five. Yeah. So... I just think, especially with those linebackers graduating, I just don't trust their defense. They've always had, you know, they've always had a, a one-dimensional offense that maybe if you're if you sell out against a run, you can exploit. But their defense has just always been so reliable. I just see them falling off. I have them going four and five in conference. Yeah, I can, I can their see that. I, non-conference. I games. think this offense is still pretty close to being really good. I think the moving on from Hornerbrook, although maybe that's not the right phrase for it, is probably going to end up being a long-term benefit, even if it doesn't necessarily show this year, although I think it will. Um, I think they're going to play Mertz right away. He's not going to be Trevor Lawrence, but I think with the weapons around him relative to the defenses that he's going to face, I think he's going to be good enough. Because remember, he's still got Jonathan Taylor. Jake Ferguson's a hell of a weapon at tight end. And these receivers can be good. We see that they can be good. Doesn't mean they will be, but they can be good. And as far as the offensive line goes, this is still a program that's kind of earned the benefit of the doubt in that regard, even if last year they kind of underperformed relative to extremely lofty expectations. Well, I mean, right now, Graham Mertz and Trevor Lawrence have the same number of losses under their belt. Which is horrifying. Um, But anyway, I have Wisconsin losing to Michigan possibly badly. Um, that'll be a that'll be a real test to see what that defense is like. That's see how that's early in the season, isn't it? Very yeah, that's the third game of the season. So that'll so. be. I mean, we'll kind. Of, I'll find out early if I'm right about Wisconsin. If they look like they don't belong on the same field as Michigan in that game, then maybe it doesn't matter if they win the division because they're going to run in either to Michigan or to Ohio State, possibly to Penn State or Michigan State in a conference title game anyway. So who really cares? about getting to Indianapolis, if you get a preview of what's waiting for there in the third season, they just rip your damn, damn guts you know, out, you know? Wisconsin actually is a lot like Michigan in that they're not really built to punch up. They don't, you know? No, because, I mean, to punch up, first of all, it helps to have downfield passing. It helps to have a difficult, a difficult or complex offensive scheme. I mean, Wisconsin's run game can be a little wrinkly at times, but only when it's really working. I mean, if you beat them at the point of attack, they don't have ways to get around it. Hmm. Yeah, so, yeah, Diet Michigan, I guess. Um, so, I, I think I have them losing to Northwestern. Uh, I think they're going to lose to Minnesota uh, and Nebraska and Ohio State. So, what do you have? So, you have them as four or five in conference. What do you have their overall record at? Seven and five. Because I don't think they're going to lose to Kent State or Central Michigan. Is there a point? And I think Charlie Strong really isn't a good coach. It, the, the shine has definitely come off of his uh, whatever the shine is on head. Well, the, the, the shine, shine is not come. Off his, yeah, the, the shine is still on his head for sure. But uh, <laughs> he, I mean, I mean, boy, he is even, a, he is even a, among bald coaches, he is, he is, is especially gl- shiny. He's a glossy dude. Um, this is a weird thing for us to be talking about, but anyway. Um, no, no, I mean, because the actual point, yes, yeah. similar similar heads were going on when. Lovey coached against him, and 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 Lovey just looks so so dull in comparison <laughs> on the top of the head on the top of the dome, you know. And I just I knew right then that it was going to be a problem. He's like, man, look at how shiny that man's head <laughs> look is. At how, 
Strong this is, is going to be a problem. Strong is positively iridescent in the in the. Yep, he came off the bus <laughs> shiny. You know, <laughs> he said, "Oh no, we're just blinded by the light of that glistening dome." So anyway, um, the question I was going to ask was, do you, is there an outcome to this Wisconsin season that you think puts Paul Christ on the hot seat? Well, I think 7-5 and five doesn't necessarily raise the question of moving on, but it certainly does raise questions about, is this going to be viable long-term? Yeah, and... The way you put it the other night when we did the Wisconsin podcast was that um, when Chris started the first couple seasons, it looked like they had a generational solution. Like, he was going to be there 15, 20 yeah. years. Like, this is just going to be, you know, we plugged in Alvarez with Bielema, all right, and then, then, then we left just... left for a, which turned out to be a terrible decision, and... You have a successor who's probably not going to leave of his own accord. We keep forgetting that Gary Anderson coached Wisconsin for two years, during which they just kind of cruised along. Yeah. Right? So the idea that Wisconsin is this unstoppable machine, as long as you've got the right guy to run it, you know... There's some credence to that, because honestly, like, even though the Anderson years didn't produce any especially memorable... Accomplishments. I mean, he's The biggest thing I remember about the Anderson years was the Arizona State screw job. Right, of course. I mean, that probably is the most salient thing. But my point is, like, he he's the one who brought Aranda there. He retooled their defensive system. And even though he was only there for two years and then left under weird circumstances, he still contributed to the health of the program. So even a temporary hire that was kind of a bad one overall still put them in a little bit better of a position than they were in before. So that's it no longer feels that way for sure with Chris. I I think you're right that way that if they if they have another 7 and 5 or even 6 and 6 season, granted last year they had some injuries, but there's no, like got to develop depth. You got 80 scholarships, right? So, you know, what's the excuse in in this year? Are you going to do the Maryland thing where every year it's just oh fuck all quarterbacks are dead again? Um you got to find ways around that. Yeah, I mean you know, and it hasn't really hurt Wisconsin that much in the past. Yeah, they've had pretty good injury luck in a lot of cases. I mean, I'd have to think about a particular season when they had particularly bad injury it's issues. It's just but. now occurring to me that those last two Wisconsin head coaches have left under suspicious, dubious circumstances. I don't think there's anything suspicious about it. I think Barry Alvarez is a horrible <laughs> douchebag to work for. <laughs> and the first time, I mean, shit, like... Anderson is definitely more understandable because of the way he left Oregon State in the middle of the season. <laughs> um, that also speaks to what misery the Oregon State job is. But that also, in turn, speaks to how miserable it is working for Barry Alvarez because he left there to go to Oregon fucking State. So my question is, does the Paul Christ era end with, you can't fire me, I quit? <laughs> or, or with Barry... Uh, ejecting him from the sidelines during a game and just taking the headset himself. Good question. I think that after last season, both of those outcomes are much more likely than we would have thought before last I don't season. think they're on the table for this year, but I think they are on the table for the future. Yeah, you could And probably, it didn't yeah. seem like that was going to be the case. Yeah. So, you know, interesting times, because the basketball team's in kind of a similar position. Um yeah, after, after long periods of success and stability, uh, maybe Wisconsin is finally on its way back to the mediocre to poor pit that it belongs in.
Your source for Big Ten talk. It's off tackle. Empire.